But we're, we're finishing off our Ephesians series tonight, looking towards break. Break is this like beautiful, fun, like finish line that you're looking towards. I can't wait for it. Finals will be over. Projects will be done. I get to just max and, you know, watch The Mandalorian or whatever you're up to. Come on. Um, I'm already caught up. It's fine. Baby Yoda's amazing. So, um, but then we also know at the same time, break can actually be really difficult spiritually. Like break can actually be um, almost this false promise where, where you, you expect so much, you expect so much rest and refreshment and, and joy and actually you can go through it on the other side and feel maybe more drained or frustrated with yourself like, like, you're, like you missed something there. Disciplines get harder over break, right? Guys, I've been trying to read my Bible every day for a long time now and I'm at my parents' house for Thanksgiving and it's a struggle, right? That, that's true for all of us. You're out of the, the rhythms of community and the, the habits maybe that you've built, the structures to help you pursue Jesus and to, to live the life that you're trying to live. More than that, it's, it's a spiritual battle. Like, it's not just about habits and patterns, but it's actually a, a spiritual battle of distraction, uh, spiritual warfare, stepping out of, of the community of people you've been around. And even if you're not a Christian tonight, even if the things I was saying sound kind of foreign, break can still be difficult for you. Going back to, to family situations that are, that are less than perfect, going back to an old friend group that, that maybe is living in a way that you, you don't want to live like anymore. Maybe what break exposes in you is how hard you've been working to, to try to avoid the feelings of, of loneliness depression, despair. Sometimes what we've been doing so hard all semester long is getting really busy and and really revved up and and really occupied so that we don't have to slow down and deal with the kind of things that are really there. And breaks can expose that. Sweet, thanks for ruining break for me, Nathan. That's great, excited, wow. No, guys, there is actually an incredible opportunity for you to stand for your faith. Like there's actually a beautiful purpose and mission that God wants to equip you for. He actually wants you to have a healthy break, maybe the healthiest break you've ever had. He wants more for you than you've experienced. Enjoying him and walking closely with him. He's got something more for you than, than maybe you've ever seen in your life. We don't have to fear break. We don't actually have to be afraid. We can walk with hope and expectation and confidence because God has given us a way to do that. We're gonna finish the book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter six, we'll start in verse 10. We're actually gonna go through something called the armor of God. We're gonna look at the equipment that God himself has given us so that we can walk with faithfulness and hope and peace and joy through our breaks. Y'all ready? Let's go there, flip to Ephesians chapter six. A little context, we're, we're finishing this book, but if you remember, Ephesians chapter one through three were kind of this um, big theology about what God has done, his, his reconciliation, his redemption in Christ. Paul kind of turns the corner in chapter four and starts to get more practical, okay? In light of that truth, how do we live? How do we apply this stuff? Jordan preached last week about how Jesus changes the relationships in our life. 
All the relationships in our life are, are rewired, they're reoriented in light of what Jesus has done. So we're gonna finish now, 6, 10 through 24. I'm gonna read 10 and 11 to kind of set up where Paul's going. He says, finally, last thing I'm writing to you, church in Ephesus, last, last push I'm giving you here, says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Be strong. Someone say strong. Be strong. But notice he says in the strength of his might. In the strength of God's might and power. Something about God's strength is supposed to to translate to you standing strong. He says put on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. That word stand is gonna come up over and over and over again in our passage. It's one of those commands like the command to walk, stand. We'll get there in a minute, but, but look at the end of verse 11. He says, stand against the schemes of the devil. I think when, when it comes to talking about the devil, theologically talking about who the devil is, we can fall into two ditches. There's one ditch where, where you might you might actually hear about the devil in the Bible and kind of, kind of think you're a little bit too smart for that, right? Like we're modern people. It's the 21st century. Do you really believe in the devil? Like do you actually believe that, that there really is a person or a personal being like the devil? We can minimize and, and pretend like that's just a, an idea for a past age. There's a French poet from the 1800s, um, Charles Baudelaire, I'm sure it's like, Charles Baudelaire, right? I'm not French, whatever, dude. But it, he, he said something like this that's been quoted over and over again. The greatest trick the devil has pulled was to convince the world he doesn't exist. Your, your skepticism towards the reality of the devil and, and towards the reality of personal evil, your skepticism towards that might actually be exactly what he wants. And frankly, what you might be doing in your life is you might be seeing evidence of the reality of the spiritual battle we're in and, and covering it up. Because you, you just would, would rather not deal with the uncomfortable reality of the fact that we are in, we're in a spiritually inhabited universe. That there's more than just flesh and blood going on. There's, there's actually layers of reality that maybe you can't experience with your eyes, touch with your hands. One ditch is, is minimizing and pretending that the devil isn't real and, and writing him out of the story when he's really there. Now the other ditch uh, that goes kind of the opposite direction is to kind of see the devil everywhere, right? You're like, yeah, I get the devil. I've seen him, dude. He's ugly, right? Like, you're, you're like, every tree, every bush, the devil is there. He's trying to get me, man. I, okay, I had a roommate like this sophomore year, okay? I, I'm doing whatever I was doing as a sophomore. I don't know whatever, we're not gonna go there, but he comes home and he is shook, right? I can tell something's happening to this dude. He's like, bro, bro, man, dude, bro, the devil is out to get me, man. He must not like what I'm doing. The devil is way out to get me, dude. And I'm like, what, what, what happened, man? He's like, dude, the devil tried to take me out today. What? Go on? He's like, yeah, I don't know. I was driving and I was gonna change the CD in my car and you know they were on the passenger floor and so I, so I bent down while I was driving to try to change the CD and, and then I looked up and I was almost running a red light and there were cars that were gonna hit me. I almost died in a car accident. The devil's trying to get me. 
Okay, so hold on. Okay, the devil's trying to get you because, because you weren't watching the road and you almost ran a red light and you almost ran into another car. Like, that's the devil? Okay, dude, that's you being a dingus, right? Like, that's not the same thing, okay? So, so we're not gonna pretend the devil isn't real for sure, but we also don't wanna assume that, that he, one singular being, is behind every struggle in life. He is not omnipresent, he is not infinite, he is restricted and limited, so he's at work, but he's not behind every struggle in life. That, that, that puts us in a little bit of attention, right? But the Bible is clear, like, we don't need the devil himself to be after us to have the effects of sin in our flesh. That's kind of the, the word the Bible uses for that part of us that, that's aligned away from God, that's, that's opposed to God, that doesn't want to surrender to God. You know how hard it can be to fight against sin in your life because there's a part of you that, that doesn't want to surrender to Jesus. This is there's no king but, but me and my feelings and my desires right now. If you've ever tried to stop watching porn, stop masturbating, if you've ever tried to, to stop gossiping, or stop being bitter, or stop being a proud person, you know there's a, there's a battle inside of you, not just external. So, so the devil has schemes for sure for sure, but the battle is, is even a little bit more complex than that because the battle is also in each one of us. We says schemes. Someone say schemes. A scheme is like a, like a tactic, right? It's like a trick. It, it's, like, it's like a deception. Part of the warfare is, is the battle of the mind, the battle for truth. So we need to, to take strength from God and stand firm in the midst of this complex, difficult, spiritual battle. You're gonna go into break into this kind of battle. Okay, how do we take on the the strength of God? Look at verse 12. He says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This is a a really big picture that there's a lot going on in existence in the universe. Again, there there are layers to this battle. There's a lot more going on than what you might see. But this isn't the first time Paul's used this language. Like he's not dropping a scare tactic on them right again. He's actually, he's used this language before. If you could put Ephesians 1, 19 through 21 on the screens for me. Do we have that? This is what Paul writes in the first chapter of Ephesians. He says, He's praying that the church in Ephesus would know what the immeasurable, rich, the immeasurable greatness of God's power, his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Check this out. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. Okay, before Paul gets into the armor of God, before he gets into what we're supposed to do, he he gives us a big picture that Jesus, the resurrected king, is above all of those forces. 
Jesus' victory is foundational to our strength. It's foundational to our stand. It's foundational to you walking in spiritual strength this break. It starts with Jesus winning. He wins. He is king. And so it's a process of us continuing to submit our lives to the one true king when we know that there's a battle against his authority. He's won the war, but you might still be in the battle. Maybe you've heard this metaphor before. It's like in World War II when the Allies stormed the beaches at Normandy and they started pushing across France and and towards Germany. The war was essentially won. It would have made a lot of sense for the German forces to, to throw down their weapons and to give up at that point. In fact, Hitler killed himself far before the Allies ever got into Berlin. He knew they were done. He knew they had lost the war. But there was still resistance as they were coming along the way. There, there were still forces that, that were trying to, just trying to hold it back a little bit longer. No, no, the war is over, even if the battle's still happening. So listen to me, the, the war for eternity, the war for existence, the final judgment, Jesus has won, even if you're about to step into a battle. The, the final verdict is in, even if, even if you still have opposition that you need to stand against. We don't stand in fear. We don't stand worried of what the final result will be. We stand in confidence knowing that Jesus wins. Look at verse 13. Therefore, because Jesus has won, in light of his victory, therefore, what? Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. God has given us this armor, this equipment for the battle, but we're supposed to do this thing. Say stand for me again. Withstand, stand. This language is like standing fast and firm. That's the job we have, We, we stand. He says take up the armor of God. How many, raise your hand if you've heard of the armor of God before. Yeah, if you've been around a Sunday school, even if you've been around a church for a while, you've heard of the armor of God. As I was thinking about this, I was wondering like, was Paul just like looking for, you know, kids' pictures for the coloring book for Sunday school or what? Like how do you come up with this phrase, the armor of God? And I, I was reading a commentary and they were pointing out, actually there is someone who takes on their armor in the Old Testament. There is someone that, that Paul was referencing, but it wasn't, it wasn't believers. The prophet Isaiah in three different places talks about someone taking up their armor, but it's, but it's actually God himself and the promised Savior that takes up the armor. God himself is the one that fights for righteousness and justice in the Old Testament. God himself and Jesus the Savior is the one that takes on the armor and picks up the sword to win the victory. So here's what Paul's doing. He's taking that truth from Isaiah that's prophesying about Jesus coming and he's saying, listen, as God's beloved children, as his adopted children, you get to imitate him. Like the God of the universe sees you in the battles you're going into and he is giving you his equipment, his armor to fight your battles. You, you stand in the strength of his might. He is equipping you with his tools to fight the war. He's with you, Christian. He is for you. He sees you in the battle and the struggle. You're not alone. Take on the whole armor of God. Again, this command is, is stand firm. 
I don't know about you, but there are a few things less exciting than standing, right? Like if I was like, hey guys, I have this really like epic thing I've been working on, check it out. It's called standing, have you heard of it? It's pretty great, right? Like even, even before walking, right? Little kids can walk, but standing, guys, wow. Okay, the two commands that Paul gives in, in this second half of Ephesians that are mind-blowing are like, hey, walk and stand. They are not exciting, they are not sexy, they are not impressive, but they're, they're the, the base level, they're, they're the, the basic rhythm of our Christian life. Walking might not be that exciting until you, until you realize you're walking in a battlefield. Standing might not seem that thrilling of a command until you realize you are standing against the forces of sin and Satan and hell. Standing is not impressive until you understand the context. Again, you are standing on a battlefield. That ups the ante a little bit, doesn't it? We, we have a reason to stand. We've got to stand with God and for him. Stand firm. So we're gonna go through the armor of God here, and let me tell you this, guys, we could, we could preach um, a full message on each one of these pieces. I'm gonna have to blast through them, but, but here's what I want. I want you to, to listen and maybe take notes on this because I think for each one of us, there might be one of these that tonight God is actually inviting you to take up. I, I don't know what that is for you, but we know that God's word is living and active. I, there might be one of these that actually you particularly need to hear tonight. So I, so I can't go into as much detail as I want to with each one, but for you, be thinking, be listening. Okay, God, what do you have for me in your armor? What equipment do you have for me that you're offering for me to stand in the battle? Verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. This, this belt of truth girding us Okay, sorry, yep, never mind. But I was about to say gird your loins, but I didn't because I have a lot of self-control and restraint, okay? Um, the belt of truth, so, so these, are, these are metaphorical, right? He's giving us a picture with each one of these to kind of provoke us to think. What, what is the belt of truth? Well, first off, look at it, it's an act of command. He says, having fastened on the belt of truth, we have a responsibility to grab hold of truth to hold tightly to truth, to, to put truth around ourselves, like, like to hold us tight. Christian, you need to seek truth. God can speak to you through your feelings, yes, for sure, but he also wants to speak to you through what is true, and he wants you to submit your feelings to what he says is true. God is not afraid of the truth. He's not afraid of your honest questions, but you need to pursue truth. Have you been living your Christian life as if um, kind of what, whatever people say that you're just gonna accept that whole cloth? Or have you been engaging your mind to pursue the truth that God is offering? Have you been actually like examining the scriptures to see if these things are true? Fasten on the belt of truth. Take it up for yourself. Maybe break for you looks like filling your mind with truth reading some difficult books because you actually want to grab hold of more of what God has for you. Fasten on the belt of truth. The second piece of, of armor, of gear he gives us, is says, uh, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate covers your vital organs, right? 
Like, you can take a, a wound to the leg and keep going, but, but if you're stabbed here in battle, you're, you're down. So, so the breastplate of righteousness covers your, your most vital places. Someone say righteousness. That's a very churchy word, right? It's a good word, but, but it's a word we can maybe throw around and, and not really have a tight definition of. Righteousness is, is similar to the idea of rightness. It's a declaration that you are right. According to a standard, a, a, a judge would declare you are righteous. Friends, we don't earn righteousness before God. We can't meet the standards he gives us. We have to be given righteousness. We have to be declared by the ultimate judge, you are right with me. That happens through faith in the finished work of Jesus. When we trust that he has won the battle over our sin, he has paid for it, when we put our trust in him, he turns around and says, hey, you are right with me. So why would Paul put, put righteousness as, as the thing covering, covering your chest? I think because a lot of the schemes of the devil, the attacks we take, are ones that, that hit us where it hurts. It's the shame that you feel. It's the, the guilt and the weight of condemnation. It's you going back to that, that old group of friends that remembers all of the junk you did in your past that you, that you wish you could get past, but you can't. It's that little gnawing voice saying, you'll never really be good enough for God. When we receive that righteousness, it, it protects us in our most vital places saying, no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that is not true of you. You've been justified. You've been declared righteous by the finished work of Christ. What we saw in the fall retreat is Jesus covers our shame. There's no place for shame in your heart. His righteousness covers us. Verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. As we're putting on this armor, it doesn't slow us down. It doesn't, it doesn't make us stagnant. We actually are more nimble and ready to share the good news, the hope of Jesus. Our feet are equipped, we're, we're ready to go out and share. And guys, as I was thinking through this one, I, I was even just thinking through the number of, of stories in this room of people that have come to know Jesus. Whether it's this year or last year, you've, you've heard the good news at Connection Group. You've processed it and wrestled through it with each other. You've, many of you have taken up the readiness of the gospel piece. I was with, uh, with a guy at lunch the other day and he, he was telling me, um, actually over Thanksgiving, his his mom thanked him for sharing his faith with her before. Like she actually is starting to pursue Jesus more on her own because he was ready with the gospel, with this good news of what Jesus accomplished. Many of you are going back to situations where, where there are actually people that need to hear the gospel. Over Thanksgiving break, and that was, that was my younger sister and her husband. And I, let me be real with you. You can be on staff with the ministry and not always feel ready, right? Not always feel like nimble and ready to share Jesus. Like, I see you wearing sandals, you know? Right, like, okay. <laughs> but the hope that we have isn't in our ability to be sneaky with the gospel. But we're ready because we know we have been saved and transformed by Jesus. We're just ready to, to bear witness to what he has done in our lives. That's, that's actually part of the equipment, the armor God has given us, your own story of what he's done in your life. Take up that armor of God. Be ready to make your stand, even when it's not easy. 
keep, ver- keep going, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, which you can, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There are gonna be darts coming at you, right? But we take up this, this shield. The, the exact translation is kind of this, this old, like, giant door-shaped shield. So it's not one of these little, like, ting, 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 but it's, like, huge with arrows flying at it, flaming darts flying at it. When I was thinking through this one, I was thinking of how actually the promises of God provoke our faith. Like sometimes the schemes of the, the, the devil, the evil one, sometimes they can be big and, and overt, or maybe it's that friend you know that's antagonistic to your faith, and you feel like they just have all these questions you've never heard or processed, and, and you feel beat down by it. Again, sometimes they're, they're these, these big, scary, flaming darts, and other times they're the little, subtle ones. The nagging that you'll just never be good enough for God. That that sin, you can never actually beat it. Those people, they, if they really knew, they wouldn't want you in connection group with them. All of these things are, are attacks that we fight off with faith. Grab hold of the promises of God by faith and, and hold them up to those attacks. One of the promises that I hold on to is Romans 8, 28. We know God works out all things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Even my mistakes, even my failures, or things that happen to me, I know God has promised that he will work those things out for my good. I have to hold that promise up by faith and say, God, help me to believe this when things aren't going how I expect. Or Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. Even when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody and it, and it doesn't seem to be working, man, I, I don't trust my ability to, to be sneaky and quick with it. I have to trust that God's power is there. Find the promises of God and by faith, hold them up to the darts in your life. We gotta keep going here, guys. We've got more armor. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation this is, this is guarding your head, guarding your mind, knowing that, that we are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8 says. It's not our own doing, and so what, what protects our mind in those moments is the knowledge that our salvation is not of our own doing. Guard your mind, guard yourself with it, and go, okay, God, I'm holding up the truth of your salvation. It says, in the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the Holy Spirit, one of the, the three persons of the Trinity, actually wants to make this word effective and powerful in your life. He actually wants this to be, to be a weapon in your warfare. Now, the, the sword that he's talking about, we'll, we'll see a picture later. It's not so much like a giant, like, brave heart, like, massive sword, right? It, it's more like a, it's like a smaller sword, almost a dagger, even. But, I think of when Jesus was in the wilderness in Matthew 4, being tempted by Satan. Satan's trying to get him to take all these shortcuts, trying to, trying to get him to actually sacrifice the mission for, for comfort, for ease, for the shorter path. And the way that Jesus, God in flesh, responds to Satan is he quotes scripture. Like he quotes God's word at Satan. Even when Satan twists it, Jesus himself, who could have like flicked him and he would have like, you know, been gone from existence, whatever. He, he, quotes, he quotes God's word. Friend, the Spirit wants to make God's word active 
and alive in your struggle for holiness, in your, in your standing firm? Are you putting yourself in this book for him to make it alive? Are you memorizing it? Are you thinking about it? One thing you can do actively is you can go to a church that opens this book every week. Like, if you're back home over break, find a church that's gonna actually open this up and walk through it. Because my thoughts and, and my ideas aren't inspired. These words are inspired. If you're around Veritas, again, come and hear the word preached on Sundays. Gather with God's people and sit under his word and the spirit is gonna make it alive in your life. Have you ever been sitting, whether it's in Salt Company, whether it's in Connection Group or on a Sunday, and all of a sudden you feel like the person speaking is like speaking to you? It's like, no, whoa, wait, what? Oof, I don't like that. But, okay, I genuinely don't, I have no idea when that's happening to you. I just don't have a clue, unless you like giggle awkwardly and poke your friend. Um, don't do that, that's distracting. Um, not that, but you know, that thing. But, but, but here's what's happening. God, God is active at work in you through his word. Like God himself is, is, is with you, making the truth of his word alive, convicting you, challenging you, pointing you back to Jesus. He's doing that. Are you putting yourself in place to listen? Like are, 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 again, are you putting yourself in this book to let him do that? Verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. The Spirit wants to teach us how to pray. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes where I feel like my prayer life sucks. Where my prayers just aren't working. Where it, it just feels like a, like a slog, like I can't get my mind focused even though I'm trying. The Holy Spirit himself is with us, teaching us to pray. He's like energizing and using even your like really squishy, weak prayers. He's, he's, he's using them and God wants to affect reality through your prayer. He's not always gonna give you what you want, how you want, when you want, but, but he's gonna change you as you pray. Praying at all times in the spirit and, and, and one connection I wanna make, if we know that the word is the sword of the spirit and we're supposed to pray in the spirit, you can actually use the word to fuel your prayers. Find a verse to, to memorize and pray through that, that you want God to, to just push deeper into you. Or when you're, when you're just trying to read the Bible and understand it, pray as you read. Pray and go, God, I, I don't understand. Help me, help me get this. God, what, what do you have for me today? Maybe it's finding a psalm that speaks to the emotions in your life and, and using that to pray back to God. Let the word be part of your prayer life. Fuel your prayer, launch you to deeper prayer relationship with God. That's part of the armor God has given us. Pray in the Spirit. Let me finish verse 18. I'm actually gonna read, um, yeah, I'll read 18 through the end there. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep doing it, keep trying, making supplication for all the saints. Like pray for each other, right? Be, be praying for each other, not just for you. Pray for each other. Check this out, verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I have to speak. Did you catch that? Like Paul, 
the, the church planter, the apostle, the dude that, that wrote a chunk of the New Testament, that dude is saying, hey, can you guys pray for me? Like, like I need your prayers. Guys, pray for each other. Pray for your connection group leader. Pray for me. Pray for the salt staff that loves you. Guys, pray that we would be bold with the gospel, please. Pray that I would have joy in Jesus and not just in false finish lines I set up in my life. Pray, please pray. Even if you're struggling to pray for yourself or things in your life, pray for somebody else. Like maybe it's, it's that person in connection group that, that is just on your heart and your mind or maybe actually you even need to pick somebody and say, hey, we're gonna pray for each other. We're, we're gonna pray for the things in each other's life over break. We're gonna text each other about that. Pray, pray for each other. That's part of this, this armor, this equipping God has given us in this spiritual battle. Let me finish reading verses 21 through 24. So you may also know how I am, what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. He like sent this guy with the letter in hand. He's gonna update you. He's just gonna tell you how I'm doing. I've sent him to you for this very purpose. You may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, the brothers and sisters, the family of faith and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Stand firm, guys. This is Paul's closing letter to this church. This church that is in a context surrounded by magic and worshiping false gods, this spiritual battle. He says, stand firm. God has given you this equipment. This is just, let me give you one phrase to kind of remember the thrust where Paul's going. So stand firm in every spiritual battle by taking up the equipment that Jesus has given you. Stand firm in every spiritual battle by taking up, actively choosing to take up the equipment that Jesus has given you, that he won on the cross for you. Now, as I was thinking through this and praying through this, I, I realized I've been reading this wrong for a long time. I've been having the wrong picture of what this battle looks like for a long time. Um, actually, can you put that first picture up for me? This is what I thought it looked like, right? Anybody seen one of these before? Maybe you colored in as a kid. I thought I was a boss looking knight, right? Decked out in my gear, ready to go. I've got the belt of truth. Look at me go. Girded my loins. Cool. Um, like, th- this is how this is how we, we tend to view um, this kind of fight. And that's, that's actually not right. That's not an accurate picture. That's not what Paul and his audience had in mind. This is like Western Europe hundreds of years later, right? This was, this was so far from their mind. But, but I think we've actually absorbed this picture. And it's thrown us off the scent of what God's really given. It actually, um, it actually doesn't show some of the real armor, some of the real equipping that God has given us. Can you show me the other picture? This is actually more of what they would have thought of, right? This is actually more of what they would have pictured in this. One of the biggest differences is actually how, how they stand together. See, the Romans conquered most of Europe, North Africa, the Middle East. Like They conquered one of the largest chunks any empire had of the world. And they did it by actually 
fighting those battles together. Standing shoulder to shoulder. See, the, the shields that they took up weren't these shields that you, you kind of throw around. You actually locked in with someone next to you so that when people would come rushing at you, you could hold the line. So the guy next to you, if he needed to, to stab out, he could do that while you held on. You weren't trying to, to block from above and block in front of you. You actually trusted the people with you to help hold a shield above you to stop flaming arrows from coming on you. See, when the church in Ephesus got this letter, they were thinking about how they were to stand firm together, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder. Part of the equipping that God has given us, the the gear he's given us is actually each other. I know it doesn't say like the armor of God being your bros, right? Like it, it doesn't say that explicitly, but the picture they would have had would look a lot more like this. So hear me say this, if you're trying to be a solo Christian and charge out and slay the dragons on your own, you are actually depriving yourself of some of the equipping that God wants to give you to fight your battle. You are actually robbing yourself of some of what Jesus has won and is offering to you. When he saves us, he adopts us into a family. He invites us in to a community of redeemed people. So in the spiritual battles and struggles you're going through, you need brothers and sisters. You need people who are going to to remind you of truth and and preach the gospel again to you. Hey, that that shame that you're feeling, no, 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 Jesus has covered that. He, He bought that with his blood so that you don't have to feel shame. Hey, I'm praying for you as you go to share the gospel with your brother, with your mom. Men and women that when you are struggling with doubt or fear or insecurity can actually remind you of the promises of God and hold that truth up in front of you. We need to take hold of all of the equipment God has given us and one of the things that will help you over this break the most is actually inviting your brothers and sisters into that. Maybe it's setting up a group chat where you're gonna keep each other accountable for reading the Bible. Maybe it's inviting someone else to go to church with you. Actually like driving together and sitting together so that you you don't have any excuses. Maybe it's picking somebody to pray for, even if you never tell them, but to pray every day because you know the struggle they're going through, the fears in their life, the things that they've got. Maybe it's memorizing scripture with somebody. Picking somebody, picking a verse, and choosing together to work it out to fight for discipline and to fight to put that truth into your mind, the the sword the Spirit wants to take up. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And as you fight, you fight alongside redeemed people. You don't fight this battle alone. And and let let me just say this, if you feel like you're alone right now, if you feel like there's no one in your corner, like there's no one you can trust, if you feel like there's no one that can understand the struggles that you're experiencing, it's a lie. Like that is a scheme of the devil that is not true. What is true is that Jesus sees you and he knows you. He died to pay for your sin. He died to wash you in his blood and he died to adopt you into his family. He died to give you brothers and sisters that that aren't gonna be perfect but that are gonna be with you 
fighting alongside you. Maybe, maybe that's what you need to hear tonight. Whether it was one of the, the pieces of the armor of God or whether it was better seeing the picture of what it looks like when we put all this together, each one of us gets to step into what God has for us. And if we do this, like if we, if we actually begin to take these things and accept what God's given us, guys, I think we can actually have the most healthy break we've ever had. And more than just a healthy break, I think we can actually begin to see breakthroughs in our lives. Like I, I think that the old struggles and the old fears that, that you're so scared of going back to a break, I think you might actually begin to stand firm when you take up the armor of God and when you do it with your brothers and sisters. And as we do it, as we stand on this battlefield, we get to celebrate the victory that Jesus is continuing to unfold. He has won the war. Now take up his equipment as you go into the battle and stand firm and see him win. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are victorious. You are the one that is seated above every ruler, every authority, every power, every dominion. And in your victory, you equip us. You offer us the armor of God to take hold of it and to, and to stand. Tonight, Spirit, I pray that you would make the word alive and active and, and pierce through our, our defenses to show us man, what we need to take up, the equipment we need to take up to stand. Jesus, please banish every fear we have going into break, every, every misplaced expectation and hope, and set our eyes, set our vision on your victory that we can walk, that we can stand firm in every battle, arm in arm, confident that you have won the war. We love you, Jesus, and we love you because you loved us first. We pray this in your name. Amen.